welcome to Word Online. Hello, and welcome to series two and episode number 10. And it's entitled Jesus and the Samaritan Woman. Uh, we're still in the narrative of John's Gospel, where we've been for a few episodes as John carries the story forward for us. And we're going to be turning in a moment to John chapter 4, where we'll be reading the remarkable story of Jesus meeting a Samaritan woman and some very surprising outcomes in her life and in the community. Uh, before this event, as John's Gospel makes clear, Jesus had been in and around Jerusalem for a period of time, having previously been baptised by John the Baptist in, in the River Jordan nearby and then made a brief visit uh, back to home to Galilee for the wedding festival at Cana. He'd been in Jerusalem for a time. He'd challenged the market traders in the temple in an episode known as the cleansing of the temple. Then he'd had a long conversation with Nicodemus, one of the religious leaders. And then in the last episode, we saw that Jesus and some of his early disciples, uh, just a handful of them, we only know five, there might be a few others, uh, they were traveling around the countryside in and around Jerusalem, the Judean countryside, preaching and conducting some baptisms. And then John the Baptist uh, commented on what was going on. And that's the story as we left it uh, in our last episode. And in this episode, uh, Jesus decides to return to Galilee. That's very significant because it is in Galilee that he's going to formally start his public ministry and preaching. And he's going to concentrate on Galilee in the north of the country for most of the next two or three years while he is preaching. So he's going to uh, return home. And he takes his disciples with him. And uh, interestingly enough, as we'll see in this passage, the route he chooses to go home is through the centre of the country, the most direct route to go from Jerusalem through to Galilee, to Nazareth and Sea of Galilee and that area. The most direct route is to go straight through the middle of the country through a district called Samaria. Most Jews did not take that route because the Samaritans were a group of people that they didn't get on with at all well. And so rather than taking the most direct route, they would normally go either to the coast and go along the coast and up and round or down to the Jordan River and go along near the Jordan River and then back through to Galilee. Samaria lay in between Galilee in the north and Judea in the south. So it was an interesting decision that Jesus made. Jews weren't generally welcomed as they traveled through Samaritan territory. But we need to really explain the reason for that in order to understand the significance of this story and this journey and the conversation that Jesus has uh, with this woman. So let's uh, just think about that for a moment. About 700 uh, years before the time of Jesus, the northern tribes of Israel were um, defeated in battle and their kingdom was uh, destroyed by an invading power called the Assyrians. And they 
deported many thousands of the Israelite people who were taken out of the land and scattered throughout the different provinces of the Assyrian Empire in the Middle East. And at the same time, the Assyrians brought into that district many other nationalities. They did it as a conscious decision. They brought them in to uh, mix with the remaining Jewish people there. And from the mixture of incoming different nationalities and uh, the Jews who remained, some of the Jews remained, there became a new um, ethnic group uh, which is racially mixed, partly Jewish and partly non-Jewish. And this group became known as the Samaritans, named after the district and one of the principal towns, the name being Samaria. So for 700 years or so, this ethnic group uh, was half Jewish and half non-Jewish. It had a strange mixture of culture. And these people considered themselves to be true followers of the Jewish God. So they maintained the first five books of the Bible. That was their holy book, the Pentateuch, the books uh, attributed to Moses that described uh, the early part of the history of Israel. So they had those first five books. They had the law of Moses and they even created their own temple on a large hill in Samaria called Mount Gerizim. That, uh, that Mount Gerizim appears mentioned in the text. So we have a strange situation in the country where further south we have Jews in Jerusalem with the temple based on the original temple and the full um, religion of Judaism functioning further south. In the middle, a bit further north, you've got the Samaritans who claim to be truer followers of the God Yahweh than those other Jews. And then in the north, you have the Galilean people who again are largely Jewish, but with other components as well. So as time progressed towards the time of Jesus, there was a lot of racial and religious hostility and mistrust between the Samaritans and the Jews, both the Jews of Galilee and the Jews of Judea in the south. This is the situation that Jesus encountered in this story. And this is the background to some of the mentions of the Samaritans that occur in the Gospels, which we'll look at in later episodes. But for now, let's turn to the text. Let's turn to John 4, and we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 26. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptising more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptised, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Would you give me a drink? 
his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she said. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claimed that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you'll worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This really is a very dramatic story. And uh, there's a social tension in this story from the very beginning, because Jesus has paused on the side of the road. His disciples have gone into the nearby town to buy bread. As the text says, he's resting by the well and wells were important meeting places in those days. They still are in some societies in the developing world. Wells or fountains are very important places uh, to meet. Uh, and in those days, it was a, a social meeting point. And he's just resting there. But of course, he can't drink from the well because he's brought no water carrier with him. He has no way of accessing the water from the well. And so hence his question to this woman who comes up to the well uh, at this particular time. But there are two tensions going on here. 
There is first of all the tension between Jew and Samaritan, but also the tension between man and woman. In those socially conservative societies, men and women only related to each other publicly in very limited ways, such as we find in some conservative societies uh, even today. And so as the woman became aware that Jesus was both Jewish um, and also uh, male rather than female, she, she was nervous about the social interaction. It seemed odd and there was no one else around to uh, experience the conversation. But Jesus took the opportunity and he created an interesting and uh, important conversation using the image and the analogy of water. Having asked for a drink, he then goes on to talk about living water. And the woman is perplexed. What on earth does he mean by living water? And then Jesus begins to talk about the fact that in terms of water as a natural resource, we drink uh, the water, but after a period of time, we'll become thirsty again. It's of the nature of things. But he said, there's another kind of water, which he described as living water. He said, if you can drink that water, you'll never thirst again. Now, this got the woman's interest. She was realizing that there was more in this conversation than just uh, Jesus needing to quench his thirst after walking some distance along the main road of Samaria. She realized he was talking about something else, but she couldn't quite understand what it was. She was intrigued. But then something happened in the conversation that took it to a completely different dimension because Jesus very surprisingly asked her to go and call her husband. And she quickly said that she wasn't married. She didn't have a husband. And then he described her life to her without any possible knowledge of who she was, having never met her before, never been there before, um, never walked through that part of Samaria before. Jesus described the fact that she had been married five times and was uh, separated or divorced from those five husbands. And now she was living with a man with whom she wasn't married, which was a fairly scandalous situation in that society. And that suddenly attracts the attention of the woman and, and makes her think very carefully, what kind of person are we talking about here? And she says, I see that you're a prophet, that he could see from revelation from God that he couldn't possibly have known uh, in any natural way. So this is the flow of the conversation, which leads later on uh, to a discussion about worshipping God and what it really means and how we're going to worship and how are the Samaritans going to worship and what is God doing in the world at the time. We'll come to that in just a moment. But I want, before I do that, to just note something else in the text, which is very, very intriguing. The woman addresses Jesus during this conversation by four successive titles or descriptions. And those four titles or descriptions represent the progression of her thoughts during the conversation. Let me just tell you what these four are. 
First of all, she describes him in chapter 4, verse 9, as a Jew. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. That's a racial definition. She quickly worked out he was Jewish. She could probably work it out by his accent, possibly his appearance. Certainly he would have had a Galilean accent, which was a Jewish accent, different from a Samaritan accent. So she understood him to be racially different. And so she gives him that very simple designation a Jew. And in verse 11, she entitles him Sir, a sign of respect. That's a positive step forward. But in verse 19, she changes her description of him dramatically when she describes him as a prophet. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. This is after he'd uh, told her about her private life and said that he already knew what her private life was and how complex it was and she wasn't living with a husband and she'd had five husbands. Sir, you're a prophet. So she sees at that point that she's met not just a Jew, not just a man she can respect, but someone who has the gift from God of revelation to actually understand and know things he couldn't possibly know. So she realises this is somebody, this is a man of God. And the Samaritans would have recognised that prophetic capacity in the same similar way to, to the Jews, even though they may not have experienced it in their community. And then at the end of the passage we're dealing with today, she says, I know that Messiah is coming, verse 25. And Jesus says that I am he, I am the Messiah. So she's moved to a description of Jesus, which is really the truth about Jesus. He is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Saviour coming into the world. So in the conversation, it's interesting to note, she's moved from calling Jesus a Jew, uh, which, by the way, could be a term of disrespect because the Samaritans didn't like Jews. Then uh, to the term sir, then to the term prophet, and then to the term Messiah. What's happening here? Her recognition of who Jesus is, is growing step by step. And by the end of the conversation, she's beginning to think, this is the Messiah. And by an amazing chance, I've met him at the well just outside my town. And she's really uh, shaken and excited and in trepidation at the extraordinary reality of what's happening. And in our next episode, we'll look at what happens afterwards, by the way, where something incredible happens in her whole town. Her whole community is fundamentally affected by her talking to them and them meeting Jesus later on. We'll come to that in the next episode. But for now, we just need to comment briefly on the final section here where there is a discussion about worship. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, she says in verse 19. That's a reference to Mount Gerizim, where there was a, a temple put up by the Samaritans. But you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem, where the Jewish temple was. But Jesus goes on here to say that something is changing. 
It's all to do with his coming, of course. Something is changing in the world of religion and in the world of faith. Because he says that the time is coming where it's not going to be about a particular place, your place or our place, Mount Gerizim or uh, Jerusalem Temple. No, no. Something is happening that isn't going to be based anymore on place. Now, this is an interesting point. And it reflects the fact that Jesus was already, when he cleansed the temple, given an implication that the importance of the temple is going to change and reduce. It's going to be part of history rather than part of the future in terms of uh, the community of faith. We, we saw that in the episode of the cleansing of the temple. And here's another implication of something very similar. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. They're the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. So what are these criteria? Worshippers in the spirit and in truth. These are two vital pillars of true Christian faith. We know that the truth is the message of Jesus, the full gospel of Jesus, which is being revealed step by step in the story. The fact that he's the son of God who came into the world, who died for our sins as a substitutionary atonement uh, uh, and made it possible for us to be forgiven, to repent, to believe, to receive the Holy Spirit and to receive eternal life. The truth is our alignment with the gospel truth. We, we can only worship in truth if we align ourselves with the reality as it is. There's one way to, to God through Jesus Christ and through his death on the cross, his resurrection, forgiveness that he brings. So that's the truth component in simple terms. But the spirit component is important too. We already saw in the uh, discussion between Jesus and Nicodemus that Jesus identifies the work of the Holy Spirit as absolutely fundamental to salvation, belief, faith. And we can add in here, in this context, worship. If you want to worship God, you need the Holy Spirit inside you. And the Holy Spirit is going to be given to every person who follows Jesus wholeheartedly. And these truths are just beginning to come to the surface in this very brief discussion with the Samaritan woman. It's difficult to know exactly what she made of all that because we're not told. But she's beginning to see that Jesus is not only a prophet, he's probably the Messiah. And faith is growing within her even as the conversation continues. A very exciting story. Very sudden encounter between two people in total, totally different social and religious situations. And as they meet, uh, Jesus is able to communicate amazingly effectively with this woman. So what reflections can we take and, and, and make from this particular episode? I think that Jesus's evangelistic approach here is very helpful for us. He takes a natural point of contact. He finds common ground, the discussion about water and the well. 
He has what can only be described as a prophetic conversation where he's able to see into this woman's life and her background and talk about it. And he introduces truth step by step during the conversation. He's following the circumstances and the opportunities that arise naturally in the circumstances of his life. He didn't go looking for this woman. He just rested by the well at the side of the road while the disciples went off to buy some food. So this evangelistic process and approach is helpful for us because our responsibility, if we're Christians uh, listening to this recording, is to share our faith. And the best way to do it is in a natural relational context. In our modern world, we have many meeting places, like the wells of the ancient world, places where much sharing about Christ is done. It might be in our workplace, in a factory or a school or a shop or another workplace. It might be in the community meeting places, which is really what the well was for this Samaritan community. What are the community meeting places in your community, your village, your town, your district of a city? Those are the places where we can make friends and spend time and talk about things or take our friends there. The coffee shops, the restaurants, the marketplaces, the parks of our worlds are very, very important places to meet people and to share our faith. And many of us are doing that. And I want to encourage you to uh, to use the example of Jesus as an inspiration for just meeting people, talking to people naturally and seeing where the conversation goes. And we can also pray that we can have insight from the Holy Spirit, prophetic insight that can guide the conversation and help it move in a way that leads that person forward in their understanding. Second reflection I want to make is that people are generally searching for some meaning beyond their ordinary lives. Most people are frustrated by their human relationships and their life circumstances, as this woman almost certainly was. Her relational situation was very unsatisfactory. There's no suggestion she was blissfully happy. She felt quite uh, perturbed that Jesus could so clearly see what had happened in her life. People are searching. And for Christians, our job is to meet such people on their terms and to guide them to a better understanding of the Christian faith. Third point I want to make is that Jesus identifies the importance of respect for the Jewish heritage of salvation. He says in verse 22, salvation comes from the Jews. Now, one of the themes that you'll find in this study of the life of Jesus is the fact that I will emphasize what the Gospels emphasize is that the Jewish heritage is tremendously important. The Old Testament heritage, the covenants, the history, the ancestry of Christ, his Jewish background, the prophecies that shape his destiny and his messianic mission. So we do well to respect that Jewish heritage, which for us means two things in particular. One is engaging well with the Old Testament and the other is resisting modern ideas of anti-Semitism. 
God has loved the Jewish people and revealed himself to them and given them the responsibility of sharing what they know with the rest of the world. And therefore salvation came from the Jews. And we're now in the era of history where the rest of the world is hearing the message of Christ in many, many wonderful ways. The final point I want to make is that the key to worship is not the place of worship or the style of worship. It is the heart of worship. What's going on in our hearts? Are we worshipping God on the basis of a true understanding of the gospel, the truth? Are we worshipping God in the power of the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit leading us towards worshipping him? This is a truly wonderful passage. I hope you've enjoyed us sharing it together. It's part one of a two-part story and we'll continue the second part in the next episode. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.